listeners. This is the Learn by Doing podcast, and I'm your host, Sue Brooks. This week, instead of an interview, we are giving you a backstage pass to another Oaks Leadership Lunch, this time with Oaks Church's senior pastor, Scott Wilson. You'll notice that some of our podcasts are interviews and some of our podcasts are special access recordings to sessions that we host for our Oaks School of Leadership students and Oaks staff. We like to mix it up, and we love being able to resource you with content from respected leaders in our church and surrounding cities. Pastor Scott's session provides amazing insight into leading in ministry with maturity. Whether you volunteer, work in full-time or part-time ministry, or work in the marketplace, you will want to listen to the insight and advice Pastor Scott gives regarding leadership. We're all leading in something, regardless of the capacity, and I believe that you will be blessed by this session. One of the passions, if not the most passionate thing of my life, you know, what's the number one responsibility of a Christian? Yeah, make disciples. Now, when you talk about that in a sense of as you get older and really it's a mentality, no matter what age you are, it means that you become like a spiritual father. You've heard me talk about this spiritual father, spiritual mothers, that it's really the shoulder type ministry of saying, hey, get up on my shoulders, go bigger, better, stronger, and every generation bigger, better, stronger. That's everything I easily even drink. I mean, even when in my 20s, even when I was your age, it's just I wanted to grow up to be somebody who was helping others go further, helping, discipling other people, not about me. I thought anything that I did and could bring to myself would be addition. I'm adding to the kingdom. But every time I could raise up and multiply other leaders who could do what I did and knew what I knew and could take it on, then I'm multiplying impact in the kingdom. It just made more sense to me. Now, what I'm going to talk about today, I developed this first as a talk called Levels, but I've been thinking about it more is that really it's ebbed over time that the the end result here of Joseph in the Bible in the Old Testament, Joseph, he became an incredible spiritual father, but we have a unique opportunity in the story of Joseph. It's one of the characters in the Bible. We have a lot of his story, a lot more of his story than we have of other people. I think it's perhaps God's wanting us to see the process of development of a spiritual father. It doesn't mean that he got it right every time. In fact, sometimes God just allowed us to see some of the things he didn't get right, I think, so that we could see, hey, if you, if you want to be a spiritual father, you can still be like this and still become one. So don't feel like you're disqualified because you were stupid at this time or ignorant or just not what you needed to be. You can still do it. But it also helps us that, hey, at this stage, he blew it on that. I can learn that and not blow it on that. And maybe that'll help me even get ahead and I can get on Joseph's shoulders. Come on now. So what I want to do is just share with you guys today kind of my story, Joseph's story in the Bible, and talk about the process of becoming spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers. Now, I think I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I turned 50, and so I'm kind of coming of an age of moving into that kind of stage where people are more naturally kind of looking at me as an old guy because I'm an old guy. But as I was younger, there was kind of a bit there, even in my late 20s and 30s and early 40s, that I felt like a spiritual father. And sometimes because people were just only 10 years younger than me and I couldn't be really of the age to be a father biologically, it could be something kind of weird. But in my heart, I was always having the heart of a father, even if I was the age of a big brother. 
Fathering doesn't have an age. Mothering doesn't have an age to it in the spirit, in the sense of uh, you always, those of you who were going to put the smocks on on Sunday and you're going to do the, the scriptures and doing that, you're acting in the heart of a spiritual father or mother to children, even if you're 17, 18, 19, you are doing that in a way to say, I want that generation coming after me to become bigger, better, stronger. Amen. That's the heart of it. So when I grew up, here's the thing that happened with me is that I grew up with my dad as my pastor. When I was 17 years old, I went on a missions trip to Arkansas, a stateside type deal. And that night when we had already done outreaches and stuff, there was a service. God spoke to me that night and said, hey, you going all in with me or you you give me everything. And I felt almost like there was a line in the sand. I told you all this already. Remember this? You guys remember that? A line in the sand that God says, hey, you're going to cross the line, give everything. I didn't sense that that was about salvation, like going to heaven or not. It was a line in the sand about, will you serve me with everything that's within you? And I said, God, I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, marry who you want me to marry, live where you want me to live. I mean, everything I could think of that was like scary to me or like I was holding on to in my dreams, I said, God, I give it to you. Not knowing that when we got home, my youth pastor was going to resign. And that my dad was going to say, hey, we don't have anybody right now. Could you hold the youth group together until we get somebody? And think about how weird that would be being 17 years old. You just graduated high school and all these people are your peers. But he said, kind of hold it together. Well, it was just a few months later that we had seen a real move of God. It was almost as if, man, if Scott can be a youth pastor at 17, we could really do something ourselves. We're only 16, 15. Why can't we do something, you know? And they started doing a lot of evangelism, all this. We tripled in size. They were only paying me 100 a week. So they thought, man, this would be a good hire. Let's do this. So that's how I started a ministry And uh, while I was going to college. A lot of that is what developed OSL into being is because in my heart it was like, man, here I am young going to school. And while I'm going to school, I'm doing this full time. I'm going to school, going straight to ministry, apply, applying it and growing in this. But as I look back... I see that I had some faulty thinking. How many of you know sometimes you can have a good heart, but you just are ignorant or you even have some issues? I wrote a, I, I did a video today that's going to come out on Instagram. I, I've just been shooting videos all the time and then they're just giving it to the team to when to release. I wrote one yesterday and shot it that was called Love is Like an Onion. Because if you read 1 Corinthians 13, it's patient, it's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It, it hopes the best. It protects all these things. Can I tell you, each one of those things it lists on, there's like a layer of an onion of getting the opposite out of your life. I mean, it's like every time I think I'm loving well, God shows me another layer I need to get rid of. I need to love better. And, and the point is, is that you can have a good heart and want to do what God calls you to do, but you're still in process. So I look back over the processes of the things I got right, some of the things I got wrong, and I thought I might take it through my process looks a lot, and I'm not saying I'm like Joseph, but I'm saying the processes that he went through, I can relate to in my life. So I'm going to take you through that. You ready? The first one is, is in the beginning when I started on staff in 17, and even when I got here and I was 19 and became the youth pastor here, here are the descriptions of me at what I'm terming now like I'm an exuberant intern, okay? Or it could be like here, an exuberant OSL student. It could be an exuberant 19-year-old guy who's getting paid part-time while he goes to college, whatever it is, uh, no matter the title. It's kind of like that beginning stage. Uh, I described it like this. I had ideas. 
out the wazoo. Man, I, I had ideas every time I turned around. Man, we could do that. Why aren't they doing that? I don't understand why we're not doing that. I think we should fix that. I think we change that. I mean, basically in my mind, I thought, my gosh, when I get in charge, we're really going to do something. So I had ideas, no experience. So I really hadn't had any experience of anything going on. I just saw all these different things and had all these ideas. A time of high frustration. And, and but I was very independent. In other words, I had a heart that I, I felt like God had called me to something great, kind of like Joseph did with the dreams that God gave to him. And we'll see that in a minute. But I felt like God had called me to something great. And I'm going like, man, I can feel greatness inside of me. I can feel a high calling inside of me. I can feel like I'm supposed to be doing something awesome. And why am I not getting the chance to do it right now? Why isn't anybody giving me the opportunity? And so I was frustrated. Why? Because I had all these ideas, but I didn't really have the power, authority, or ability, or resource to be able to implement those things. And I didn't have any experience, so I, I didn't know what I didn't know. You know, and so I, I was just walking around, had all these ideas, all these things and just frustrated. And I was a, an advice giver, man. Just sit down with me. I can tell you how this youth group should go. I'll tell you how this kids ministry should go. I'll tell you how the worship ministry. I can tell you every ministry in the church, how it should go, because I could see it clearly. I've grown up in it my whole life and I've traveled all over the nation. I've seen all kinds of churches. So I had all these ideas, no experience, frustrated because I felt like, man, why can't we just change and get better right now? And when I get a chance, I'm in charge, man, we're going to do great stuff. I was a great giver of advice. I critiqued everything, but I couldn't see the big picture. It's easy to have ideas when you don't have the stress of having to do anything. You say, what do you mean? I'm stressed out. i got to do classes and all that. Yeah, I'm with you. Every level has a level. It's all relative. Every level has stress. Every level has weight. But it's, listen, I found it's real easy to gamble when you're playing with somebody else's money. I found it's easy to tear down a house that you didn't build. And it's easy to critique and say, I'll tell you right now, if I was a pastor, I'd release them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, that's easy to say when you've never released anybody and you've never had to look them in the eye and understand that now what the decision you're making impacts their family, impacts probably 35 other families in our church who have a relationship with them, impacts kingdom. And are we doing this in a kingdom way? If you don't have the weight of all that, it's so easy to sit over to the side and say, I think we should hire that person, get rid of that person, change this thing, do that. Well, man, you don't have any weight on you. <laughs> I remember working out at CrossFit one day, and when I was there working out, I, I was so excited because on that day, I don't know if y'all know Andrew Prescott. Y'all know Andrew? Man, that guy, is he in here? He ain't in here. That guy is crazy. I worked out with him Monday, and we, and we did these muscle-up things, and I can't even do muscle-ups. Muscle-ups is where you do a pull-up, and then you go over the bar like this, okay? It's, very, it's, it's, it's a superior move, okay, that's very difficult for people to do, especially when you're fat. So then, so like, I, I what I did, you know what I'm saying? When I'm trying, I can't, I can, I got to go like, whoa, okay, hey, whoa, you know, like this, Okay. So what I did is I have to modify it, which means I did pull-ups instead of muscle-ups he, he, and then did push-ups. But he got done in like three and a half minutes. It was nuts. It took me 10 minutes to do the modified. You know, like 12, I mean, it was, it was nuts. He got done, walked over the side, was checking his text while I'm over here barely moving. And then he goes, 
well, okay. And he goes over and he starts doing 100 push-ups just to, to he, he makes me mad. <laughs> but here's the point. Here's the point. One day I was working out and all these guys that usually are beating me, I'm staying up with them. I'm having a great day. Like, I'm running as fast as they're running. They're usually ahead of me. I'm right with them. When they're working out, I'm doing everything they're doing. And I'm like going, dude, I am killing it today. And then when we all got done, I said, man, that was a good workout, guys. Good workout. Like this. They go, yeah, man, Pastor Scott, way to go. And as I'm walking out, I see them pull their shirts off, and they all have 50-pound weight vests. I didn't see the weight they were carrying and thought I was doing just as much as them, not realizing the weight they were carrying. You get that? That point of the weight? In other words, here's the thing. As an exuberant intern, I could look at my dad. And I, who's a pastor. I could look at the associate pastor. I could look at other staff. And here I'm the youth pastor going to school, coming back, working the same hours they are. And you know what I'm doing? I'm going, how come they get paid more than me? How come they get an office with a secretary? How can they, I work just as many hours as them. I'm running just as fast. Not realizing, dude, the reason why they're kind of at a higher level is because you may not see it. But the spiritual weight of paying the bills, making the decisions, and handling things. Man, they're running. Yeah, you're running maybe as fast as them, but you're not understanding the weight. This is what happened with Joseph. Joseph is 17 years old in Genesis 37. He's a young dreamer. God's given him a dream. Nothing wrong with this dream, guys. It was a God-given dream. God gave him a vision that his dad, mom, and the brothers were going to all bow down to him. He had it like multiple ways. You know, the moon and the stars, these sheaves, all these different stuff. He had these visions. Nothing wrong with the dream because it was from God. The problem was he wasn't very humble about it. And he also didn't see it in the right way, perhaps. You know how he saw it? He saw it like this. Hey! Guess what? I'm going to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. The greatest leader in this whole house. Y'all are all going to bow down to me. It's going to be awesome. Have you ever met a young leader who senses a call on their life? And because they're gifted and because they sense an anointing and they've had some blessing because the grace has moved on their life and they've seen some results and some impact that they get a little cocky and walking around like they're going to be the next thing they may really have a call of God on their life and a dream from God and they really may be called by God to be somebody of great significance but at 17 18 19 20 if you're not careful you don't know how to can't handle that dream appropriately see here's Joseph he's just 17 years old and he's the dude his brothers have to work all day but not Joseph he's back at the house with dad playing video games, doing whatever. He's getting gifts the other brothers aren't getting. He has a dream from God. And dad goes, hey, I want you to go check on them. So he's the one going to check it. No wonder they hated the guy. He's all getting the gifts and not having to work. And, but he's like their manager and he's the youngest. I mean, what is going on here? Listen, if you're not careful, people are going to hate you at this level. I'm talking to you because this is where y'all are. If you're cocky and proud and arrogant and think you know everything and critique everything, and man, you're God's gift to this house, whoo, man, OSL is blessed to have me. 
People will be afraid to go, look, there comes that dreamer. What they really will say is, here comes that big mouth. That's what they're saying. And the pastor says, here comes that dreamer. They're saying, here comes that punk. Here comes the exuberant intern who has a dream and thinks he's all that. But what does he do? He is sitting home with dad. Punk. So what you want to learn here, some things. Here's, Here's what you want to learn. Encouragement at this level is don't say everything you're thinking. So you may have a call of God in your life. You may have a dream, all of this. But if you're developing into that person you want to be right now, one of the best things you could do is write down your ideas. Don't lose them. If you have a critique, write it down. Apply it to yourself. When you get a chance, apply it to how you're going to do things. If somebody ever asks you about, like they're doing a brainstorming on a service and you have all your critique notes of what you would do, if, you had, if somebody asked you or if you were running a service, it's okay to pull those out. Don't say all 80 of them. Sit there and wait till what's asked. And then when you answer, don't go, man, I'm so glad y'all are asking because, man, I've been waiting a month on this. <laughs> Y'all so lucky I've been paying attention. No, what you do is you say, I don't really know what I'm doing. I've never been a youth pastor. But from my perspective, which I know isn't much, could you just tell me why we do this? Because it seems like to my limited perspective, maybe this might be a good thought. How many of you see that's a totally different way of talking with the exact same information you're about to give? That's how you do it. When you have an idea, think of your idea as seed. You want to have a harvest come from that seed. You want that seed to be received so that it grows into something awesome, right? So what does a seed need in order to grow well? It needs good soil. And if that seed is planted in good soil, and if it's planted in season, it will have its best chance to reap a great harvest. So I want you to write those three words down. You ready? Soil, uh, seed. Soil and season. Seed is your idea. Soil is the heart of the leader you're trying to sow that seed into. If you don't have a good, let me, let me put it this way. It's funny how exuberant interns sometimes get so excited about what they want to do, they forget about their responsibility of what they've been asked to do. They're all proud about going the second mile. But they ain't done the first. So when people give me ideas, let's say I've got a staff member and they're in staff meeting. They want to tell me how to do something. I'd like to know that the person who's talking to me actually is handling their business. Because if they're not and their ministry is falling apart or isn't being taken care of or they can't hand in the receipts or they can't clean up their room or they can't take care of business of what I've given to them. Why would I want to hear anything they have to say here? The soil of my heart is not prepared to receive their seed. The third thing is season. That means Don't walk up to me when I'm walking out of here and say, hey, you got a chance. I want to pitch an idea to you. Not really the right timing. There's also high level meetings and drill down meetings. High level meetings like 30,000 feet. Don't talk to me about the paint color on a wall when we're talking an executive leadership team at a 30,000 feet level. You get it? Talk about what we're talking about. 
not just, I got a lot of random things. And don't bring me like five things you want to talk about. And one of them is about, I think we need to change service times. And I think we need to move that trash can to that side. I mean, do you understand how those are two different gigantic differences? Think on what season the meeting is. The season of the timing of talking. The season, if we're in a car and I say to you, which has happened to me multiple times, I was ready with a top leader and I'm driving them to the airport or I'm now in a vehicle with them and they look at me and say, hey, anything in your heart you want to talk to me about? Then you can be ready. What did they just say? My, the soul of my heart is ready for you. I like you. You got any seed you want to plant? This is a good season. Now, that doesn't mean everything. That means what is the seed right now that is ready to be sowed? Get it? It's pretty cool, right? That'll help you in thinking even with your parents. That'll help you in thinking about it in every area of your relationships. Okay, number two is serve faithfully and earn the right to speak. You earn the right by doing your job and being faithful and closing the door. Understanding closing the doors. Probably y'all been in growing up where your parents are going, close the door, like this all the time. If parents have to keep saying close the door all the time, they can't trust you because they have to keep telling you the very basics of what to do. So I call it close the door. I want staff members that close the door. Here's the difference. Watch this. Remember, wait, wait. Everything I do has weight to it. So if I can delegate a task, what is incredibly a benefit to me is to not just delegate the task, but the weight that goes with it. People I delegate tasks to, fine, fine, fine. People I can delegate weight to, ooh, baby, I don't want to lose them. I want them right close to me. Everybody with me? How do I delegate weight, not just task, when I know they're a door closer? When I don't know you're a door closer, when I can't trust you, I'm not sure. Not because I don't trust you like I think you're a loser. I just don't know you well enough and you haven't proven yourself. Or I do know you and you've failed me the last two or three times on closing the door. Then that's where I can't give you the weight. So I don't even know if I want to talk to you about giving you the task. Because if I can't give you the weight, I'm still carrying the weight when you're doing the task and it bothers me. Okay? So how do I figure, how do you teach, how do you Help somebody by getting the weight, by saying, Pastor, look at me. I got this. Then you text me right when you walk away. You just gave me a task to blah, 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 by this time, by this time, by doing this. I got it. Whoa. Thanks, Josh. That's so cool. Thanks, Josh. Let me know. And then when you're doing it, you say, just want you to know I'm doing this and it will be done by three today. Whoa. Cool. And then... Hey, just letting you know, it's done. It's sent. Here's a copy. I CC'd you. I blah, 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 whatever. It's done. Door is closed. You need anything else? Or if you have any questions, let me know. Ooh, that is awesome. Now, guess what? Next time I go to Josh, I go, Josh, I need you to do this. Got it. He'll still do that to me, but I'm able to delegate the weight. If you serve faithful like that, then guess what? When you have an idea or when you have a thought, I don't mind even if I don't do it. Just I'm, I go, man, I want to listen to you. You're a weightlifter. Just like Pastor Andrew. So pray for those, number three, who are in leadership. Pray for them. When you pray for people, you don't despise them. 
When you pray for people, you love them. When you pray for people, you're wanting their best. So it isn't about what you can get from the leader. You're praying so you can give to them. Okay? How, how many of you know the Bible says submit to those in authority over you? In fact, the scripture says submit to your father. Talking about spiritual fathers, not even just heavenly father. Your earthly fathers. Submit to them that it might go good for you. That it might be blessed. The word submit means this. To get under and push up. To get under and push up. To submit to your father is to say, I'm not just going to obey you, but I'm actually coming under your authority, not bucking it, and saying, tell me how I can push forward what God's called you to do. To get in alignment. Elisha got a double portion because he was in submission to Elijah and wouldn't stop at those different stations at the different cities and say, I'm staying with you until you go. What that means is I'm staying in alignment and submission to you in your vision and your calling until I am released from it. So that's very important. Pray, pray for them, pray for them. Level two is after I did this for a while, you know, I, I grew into some responsibility and my dad looked at me and said, okay, you're ready to take on some things. And that's when I went to level two of becoming a spiritual father and that's productive staff member. At this level, I was given some responsibility. I gained experience. At a time of high anxiety, though, why? Because when I got all of the responsibility, I, I then got this weight vest on me, and I didn't realize, wow, money didn't just grow on trees. I got to have a budget. I got to get the budget of money in. So, you know, when I was an exuberant intern, it's just like, go buy the stuff. Why don't we have LEDs everywhere? Cool people have LEDs. You know? Y'all are all looking at me like, yeah, it's true. What's wrong with you? That's right. <laughs> but the point is, is budget. Is that a priority on the budget? Well, it should be. Really? Well, do you know the budget? Do you know where it might come from? Do you know what it's like to cut 400000 Have you ever done that? I'm talking about $400,000. Have you ever had to do something where you had to figure out where staff could go? So you could pay staff. You get all that. So when I got on this... I was like anxiety because I was going, God, and I've, I barely learned how to deal with my own schedule, much less now have a team of people I got to help get scheduled and prioritize and train up. Man, I, I've been handling my personal finances, much less having to raise money and have offerings and train people to give so the money can come in so that we can meet budget to do these things. So it just became a, a high level of this anxiety, and I learned how to lead with a team or to work even on a staff and a team. Because at the other time, it was just like I was telling everybody what they thinking everybody should do. Now I'm on there, and i got to learn not just that my department matters, but all departments matter, and that we work together as a team. And it was a tough time with that weight coming on. And this is what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. 28. He said, beside these painful circumstances I'm going through, I have the daily pressure of my responsibility for the churches. And with a deep concern weighing heavily on my heart for their welfare. He's saying, I wake up every day and it isn't just the things I got to figure. I'm hoping everybody's doing okay. That the enemy's not taking people out. That the church isn't falling apart. That we have the money. You get it? There's a weight. And it's in this season that I began to learn how to handle that weight. It was a very heavy time. It was filled with anxiety. It was difficult. And in that time, I started feeling a little bit overloaded. And I started feeling a little overwhelmed. I don't have enough budget. I don't have enough staff. I started to get a little bit of an attitude like, 
Hey, where's my budget? Hey, where's my staff? Why aren't you letting me hire staff? Hey, where's my priority from the platform? Why is anybody announcing my stuff? Why is it my stuff on the front of the website? You get it? It's like, I could be successful if anybody around here would get behind me and help me. And this is where it can become a struggle there with anxiety and fear and trying to figure this out. It gets challenging. So in those times, there were moments where I had what I call destination disease. You know what destination disease is? It's thinking that if I was somewhere else and I had their buddy, if I could be at that church, they really care about their youth ministry. And if I was over there, I could have the staff I need, the money I need, the, the priority I need, and all to be successful. The grass seems to always be greener on the other side, only to get over there and figure out it's either AstroTurf or it's on a sewer and you still mow it. You still got to take care of it. What I started understanding is, hey, what God has given to me, I need to be a steward of instead of being frustrated with. Instead of being envious of what God has entrusted. Instead of being the guy who got the two talents and going, hey, why'd that guy get five? And I still am sitting there. I didn't get five. Where's my five? If I was at a church of five. Instead of realizing God gave me two with the responsibility not to double it to five or to make it five more, but to make it two more. That guy who has the five has an accountability to multiply it to a whole other level too. So I need to take what I've been given at the place that I am and be faithful with that and trust promotion to be from the Lord. The second thing is I started comparing. I started looking not only destination disease, if I can go here, go there, but I started looking like other people are better than me. I suck. This is frustrating, man. And, and that can mess you up in this moment because the heaviness and the weight and the anxiety and all that is just like you start comparing. And this is why Jesus was talking to Peter and said, hey, one of these, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. How many of you know that really when it comes down to it, love is a supreme value of heaven and it's all that matters? Love. What's the number one value of heaven? Love. First Corinthians 13 says you can preach, you can teach, you can give, you can be the smartest, you can have the education, you can have anything and everything you think and that the world says is the best. But if you don't have love, it means nothing in the kingdom of heaven. It's all about love. And so in this deal is when we're talking about this, guys, it's about your love for God and your love for people that is going to matter. And so if you get in this comparison deal Think back to Peter when Jesus says, do you love me? That's supreme value. He says, yeah, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. He didn't even say, uh, you know, get better sheep. He says, take care of the sheep I've given you. He asked him the second time, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. He said, lead my baby lambs. Take care of my baby lambs. Take care of the younger ones. He asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, yes, I love you. He said, then feed my sheep and there'll come a day that you will not dress yourself, but somebody else will dress you and you will go out a way you don't want to go. Speaking of his death, that he would give his life as a martyr for Christ. And Peter knew that. And so Peter goes, okay, all right, all right. If that's, do you understand what just happened? If you love God, then you're not thinking about your success. You're thinking about just feeding his sheep. If you love Jesus, you're just taking care of his people. 
If you love Jesus, that's the direct. How do we see as a minister, how do I communicate my love to God? By not thinking about how I get promoted, but how I can expand his kingdom and love his people, take care of his people. And then if that means I have to die or whatever I have to do, which let's play it this way on comparison. If that means everybody else's churches grow, but mine stays the same, but I am being faithful That's my communication of love, and I need to keep my eye on the ball. This is what he said to Peter. Peter said, okay, I'm with you. I'll do that, but what about John? What does he have to do? It's literally what he said, but what about John? Jesus says, if if I don't ever have him die and he lives forever, what's that to you? You follow me. In other words... What good is it for any of us to compare ourselves to anyone else? It has, that's not how heaven keeps score, so why are you? Heaven says, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Take care of what I've given to you. And I will promote you and I will use you, whatever it is. And even if that means that you're going to have to die for me, which doesn't seem like a very big successful ministry story. But was it? Yeah. Because it was what the Lord had for him. Here's the encouragement at this level. Redefine success. Success isn't about being great. It's about being obedient. In that definition, you can be as successful right now in this room as you will ever be. You don't have to have a journey. You don't have to like have a journey. One day, maybe I'll be successful when I do this or have this. No, you can be successful right now because you're right where you're supposed to be doing what God's called you to do in submission to him and saying, yes. Number two, trust God in his timing. Number three, grow in your contentment, not complacency. I used to think at your age that contentment was complacency. Totally different. Contentment is I'm on a journey. I'm not complacent. I'm reading. I'm growing. I'm learning. I'm submitting. I'm doing everything my leaders are asking me to do, which isn't complacent. Complacent is I don't give a rip. I'm not showing up. I'm not even in OSL. I'm at home doing nothing and don't care. That's complacency. Contentment is I'm content that right now I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm pursuing, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. But I'm content, not that one day I'll be happy if, but I am happy now because I'm right where God wants me. That's contentment. And guess what? If you don't work on coming into contentment now, it's going to be a struggle. It'll never get, you'll get the job you think is your dream job. No contentment. You'll get the money you think and the house you wanted and maybe the spouse you wanted and you did this and you got that position. You have this church. Contentment isn't going to be something you acquire at a certain level. It's something you come into agreement with when you change the paradigm of your success and you say, my success is to please the Father. And right now I'll do whatever you want me to do and that's enough for me. Make sense? Level three, a mature leader. The description at this level is I had responsibilities, I had experience. It was a time of high dependency on God, and I learned how to develop a personal growth team. The reason why I was saying this is this. I still had the weight. I still had a deadline. I still had budgets. I still had staff. We still had issues. We still had all that. But here's the thing I had to learn. Let me tell you something. If you don't learn what I'm about to tell you right now, you will be a productive staff member who crashes and burns. Why? You cannot, you were not built to handle the weight of ministry without God. You can't live for God without God. You can't lead 
for God, without God. He said, come to me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come learn of me, for I'm gentle of heart. And and you can learn of my ways, and I'll teach you. Okay? Come to me when you're weary and tired. This is the whole deal. He said, yoke up to me. He's doing the heavy lifting. He's carrying the weight. That weight vest that I had when I was a productive Remember, I didn't have a weight and thought, ah, this is easy. Then I got the weight and go, oh, my gosh, this is crushing. That will destroy you. If you don't learn to the next level of said, oh, my gosh, God, here's the weight. I cast it on you. See, it didn't change that when I became a mature leader that I didn't have lack in money. It just meant every morning I got up and said, you're Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I will trust in you. You want me to call somebody? You want me to do something? You want me to give something? You want me to change something? Whatever you want to do, it's your budget, it's your money, and it's on you. I'm in obedience to you and submission to you. You are the owner and I'm the steward. I'm the manager of this house, not the owner of this house. It isn't my money problem. It's your money problem as long as you tell me what I need to do and I'll go do it. Come on, that's a change of perspective. I don't know how to handle all the people, but I know this. I'm bringing them to you, God. This issue, this person, this circumstance, I give it to you and I lay it at your feet. Now, God, I'm your steward. Give me the assignment of how to minister, to disciple, to help, to pastor, to lead. But it's on your assignment, not me running around like a chicken with my head cut off trying to fix things for God. No, I'm on assignment from God with the wisdom that came from God, with the strength and grace to do it from God. It isn't I do things for him. I do things from a position from him. This is when you come into a maturity of leadership. This is when you're able to walk with that kind of maturity. So remember at the level before, Joseph had gotten sold into slavery. And in Genesis 39... Remember, he got sold into slavery at Potiphar's house. Then he got put into prison because Potiphar's wife said, hey, he tried something on me. And so then he got put into prison. Here's the two key phrases there. I moved back up because I skipped this. Move back up on that uh, healthy staff, productive staff. Here's the two phrases. The Lord was with him and the Lord gave him favor. It says it over and over. He was in Potiphar's house and everything he touched was blessed because the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him favor. When he was put in the prison, the prison guy who was in charge of it for the king put him in charge. Why? Because the Lord was with him and he was highly favored and the favor of God was with him. So here's the point. When you are in the productive ministry wait time, you've got to learn how to go to God and walk with God. Because even if you're in prison, even if you're in a place, let's say not real literal prison, but if you're in a place where you feel locked in, caged in, your ministry is blocked from growth because those in authority are people who have said things are things that didn't work out how you thought they should, even though you're innocent and right. It's in that moment you say, Lord, tell me what to do. I will serve you. I will seek you. And it's in those moments you are growing in your trusting areas of your life. You're growing in your listening areas of your life. God is not wasting those moments. He is developing you in those moments. And then in this next scene, we see that the king... Of Egypt, the Pharaoh has had a dream 
And he's freaking out over this dream. He doesn't know what it means. And, and he, but he doesn't want to go ask, you know, uh, he, he doesn't know how to get it, any kind of resolve. Well, guess what happens? When Joseph was in the prison, the baker and the cupbearer to the king had been both ticked the king off, so the, the pharaoh off, so they were in prison. Well, one day in prison, Joseph had a dream just being faithful, just being faithful to God. God gave him a dream, told him, or, or told him, or I'm sorry, the baker and the, the guy cupbearer had dreams. They told it to Joseph, and Joseph said, I'll tell you what it is. Here's what it means. God just told me, cupbearer, you're going to go back in three days. You're going to be at the right hand of the king or the pharaoh, and you're going to be his cupbearer and promoted again. Baker, your head's going off. You're going to be killed in three days. Sure enough, that's what happened. You know what Joseph told him? Cupbearer, when you get with the Pharaoh, remember me. Two years go by and he hadn't remembered him. Some of you are going to feel and you need to lock in in this moment. Write it down. Do whatever you got to do to get in your heart. There will be moments you feel like you have been looked over and forgotten even though you've been faithful for years. And it's how you respond in those moments that will determine whether God can promote you to another level, whether God can bring you into that next place he has for you, or if you're going to have to still have some more time to get developed. Joseph was looked over for two more years. And then one day when the Pharaoh had this dream, the cupbearer heard him. He goes, man, I wish somebody could tell me what this is. He said, oh, my gosh, I've done evil. He said, what do you mean? He said, there was this guy who told me about my dream, the baker's dream. It all came true. He knew exactly what was going on. He hears from God. And I told him I'd remember him, but I forgot to even tell you about him. But I think he might be able to help you. The Pharaoh sent for Joseph. Joseph comes before him. Listen to this. And the Pharaoh says, I hear you have the power to interpret dreams. You know what Joseph says? I do not. But the God I serve in heaven, he does. Now, why is that important? First of all, put yourself in a position where you were put in prison and you're in a less than desirable place when you had a dream in your heart to be something great and you're caged in somewhere. And you feel like there's no hope and this is the moment you might get a job. You might get placed. You might get the position. You might get promoted. Man, you're, you're ready. Of course I can. He told you I could. I've done it multiple times. But the 17-year-old kid dreamer who was the exuberant intern was no more. He had now become a mature, dependent person on the father who had been taking his weights to God and he stood there and he said I cannot but I serve a God who can and he will give you the understanding of what your dream is in fact here's what the Lord is telling me and he began to tell him the dream and the interpretation of the dream and Pharaoh goes who in the land has wisdom like this man get him out of prison get him cleaned up and he's going to be the second in charge under me he's in charge of everything except for my own personal life 
He's in charge of everything. Let him who hears from God be the one who develops the plan for the famine that is coming and all that's going on. Here's what I'm saying to you. Promotion comes from the Lord and it's in his timing. Your job is not to make promotion happen. Your job is not to make all the church grow as fast or the ministry grow as at the speed you want it. It's for you to say, I love you. I'll be faithful to you. I redefine success. I'm going to serve you. I'm not looking to go anywhere else or to do anything else. I'm just going to serve what you've called me to do. And it's where you, Matthew 11, go and say, man, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to lay it at your feet. I'm going to take that yoke and you're going to carry me on it. And here's the deal. Many of you have a dream in the room, just like Joseph did. And you need to submit that dream to the Lord. But it doesn't mean you just go, okay, God, I give the dream to you. No, you grow. I have a dream. Let me describe my puzzle box of dream. You ready? My puzzle box of dream looks like this. I want to be healthy in my physical health, spiritual health, mental health, emotional health, financial health, as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, as a leader. This is the description that fit. And when I say puzzle box, you know how you put pieces of the puzzle together by looking where all the green pieces go? Oh, it's the grass. It's down here because you look at the picture. So many people are trying to put the dream together, the puzzle together of their life without having a picture of what God has called them for it to be like. I've written it out. I want to be healthy in these areas. I want to grow in these areas. So then I say, who do I need to have on my team and what kind of plan do I need to have? Listen, you will not grow over time. You'll just get old over time. Growth is something that comes from you being intentional. Wake up tomorrow, you're older, not necessarily wiser. You can listen to this talk right now and you can get the information, but it's only those who don't just have this experience, but you examine the experience and see what do I need to change in my life. You can't change 50 things, but you could choose today one or two things you're going to implement from this. And that's how you grow. It isn't from experience. It's from examined experience. I've met hundreds of pastors who say, I've been at this church. I got 20 years experience. I look at them and after knowing them for five minutes, I say, you ain't got no 20 years experience. You got one year experience you've done 20 times over. Because you can go get older, but you don't get wiser. You can be there longer, but it doesn't mean you get better. It's through examined experience and saying, this is what I need to do to change, to grow. And so I got that puzzle box. And then what I did is I developed a team around me to help me grow. Now, here's where the aha moment comes on this. Is so many times I, if I asked you, do you have a team? You go, oh, sell student. I ain't got no team. They can give me no staff, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, because you think of a team as people who are under you to delegate things to, to implement. I'm talking about a personal growth team. I'm talking about coaches and people built around you that you've gotten in proximity to you to help you grow. At an OSL level, you may not be able to pay people to be a mentor to you or developer, but you've got teachers, you've got professors, you've got people who are second, third, fourth years, fifth years. You've got people on this staff. You've got staff members and pastors of the church that are on your team if you will just look to them as part of your growth team. You've got your parents on your growth team. You've got people that you can get podcasts from and leadership development and resources from and books from. And you can have John Maxwell. You can have Judah Smith. You can have Carl Lent. You can have whoever you say, that's a man of God. That's a woman of God I want to grow from. And listen, 
The proximity that I have to that podium is not determined by the podium. It is determined by me coming to the podium. And in this case in your life, you need to understand before I ever went on a trip with John Maxwell, before I ever had John Maxwell's number in my phone, I was coming to him with every single book he read, with every CD he made, with every conference he spoke. I came and soaked it in. And on the day I met him, you think, you're so lucky. Has nothing to do with luck. Has to do with preparation, meeting opportunity. How many of you know on that day when they called me and said, hey, Chris Hodges can't come. Can you come here tomorrow and be on a six-hour video recording with John Maxwell? Sit by and be on the panel with him. That some people may call that luck, but what if I wasn't prepared? That wasn't lucky. That was the biggest disappointed and missed opportunity of my life. Is everybody with me? Right now, you're in preparation for an opportunity God wants to give you. Are you on a trajectory to be prepared for it? So I got my puzzle box of what God's given me in my heart to become, and I got a growth team. I got my wife. Here I am in the middle with God. I got my wife. I've got my Christian counselor I go to every other week. Anytime I'm in town on Friday. And then I've got here my mentors. The reason why is because I don't have one mentor who has everything. So I have different mentors in my life and life coaches to help me. I have my prayer team. I have my financial planner. I have my doctor that I see every six months. I've got my uh, CrossFit coach, and I've got my dietitian. I've got physical, spiritual, emotional, mental father, uh, husband, pastor, leader, all wrapped up in a team that I meet with systematically, not just when I need, but I've got it monthly, weekly, six months, Three weeks, whatever it is, I got a schedule. And from every one of those meetings, guess what happens? That team member is further down the road in that area of expertise in my life on the puzzle box in me. And they're looking at where I'm at and we discuss it. And they help me put a plan together of the next two or three steps I need to make before the next time we meet. And that's how you grow. Joseph was in a position where every single day he was growing. He was ready for that opportunity when he got there. Here's the encouragement at that level. Don't let the stress of your job overtake you. Philippians 4, 6 says, the anxiety comes, give it to God. Just get up and do what God says. Nothing more, nothing less. Quit thinking about how you got to figure everything out. Listen, I'm telling you, the most killer years of my life is being here as a pastor trying to figure out everything. Trying to go, how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to build it? How are we going to make it happen? How can I make it grow faster? Let me tell you, I have now resigned myself to pray every day, and I'll just do what he tells me to do. Bring every need, every issue, every confusion, every single thing to him and say, what do you want me to do? He will tell me what to do. I will move when he tells me to do it, and then I will do it. When he tells me to say something, I'm going to say it. That's called preaching. Preaching is simply saying what he's saying to you. It's that simple. Now, there's some ways to communicate so that people can grab a hold of it, but it comes down to that core level. This is what you need to do. Quit trying to think that life is about you having to do something for him. It's about you just hearing from him and doing what he tells you. This is what Jesus did. Jesus said, I only say what I hear him saying and I only do what I see him doing. That's success. That's ministry like Jesus. Then, surround yourself with truth friends. Not just true friends, truth friends. Friends who will tell you the truth in love and who help to carry the weight. Level four is now when we see Joseph. 
become a spiritual father. Description at this level is, in my life, I've become a mature leader living the dream. I'm not just having a dream. I'm stepping into the dream. You know, I was in my 20s, and I had that dream about being on the shoulders of my dad. You all remember this? So I'm preaching. There's all these people being touched. I'm on an elevated platform, wooden podium in front of me. They can only see me from here up. I look down, cut out, hold in the stage. I'm not standing on the stage. I'm standing on the shoulders of my father, his hands around my ankles, tears coming down, praying for me. And I woke up and I said, I want to give my life to not just stage ministry, but to shoulder ministry. And I want to do more shoulder ministry than I do stage ministry. I want every stage ministry I have to be about being shoulders to those I'm talking to. So that every generation of the church can become bigger, better, and stronger. Guess what I'm doing right now like I've never been able to do before. All of my life has been preparing me for these moments. And every year before last year, everything before that was preparing me for that year. Everything before that was preparing I'm getting bigger, better, and stronger inside of me to have bigger shoulders to handle more people. To just help everybody get bigger, better. So I'm living the dream. I don't just have a dream. I'm in it. One time when I was your age, and I'm saying in my young 20s. I, I got mad at God because I said, God, what is taking so long? You have given me a dream to pastor a great church and to do great things. What is going on? What is the holdup? And in the midst of that, I just felt like the Lord said to me, he says, son, I know you want the dream, but you're not the pastor in that dream yet. You want to be, have what that pastor has in that dream, but you haven't had time to become yet the pastor who can handle those things in that dream. So at this level, when you become a spiritual father, when you come to this, you, you help others realize their dream. It's a time of incredible fulfillment. Joseph, when he was 17, get this. When he's 17, he had the dream that all his family was going to bow down to him, right? That was the dream. Well, guess what happened? When the famine hit, it hit his family so bad they were all going to die. So Israel sent all the brothers, Joseph's older brothers, to go to Egypt to try to get food. Who's in charge of the distribution of food? Joseph. But he's dressed up, now looks different. He's older. He's an Egyptian. He's rich. He's got all this. So they don't recognize him, but he knows who they are. Joseph does. So through all of this stuff, eventually what happens is his dad, his family, all the grandkids, everybody moves to an area of Egypt called Goshen where they could take care of their shep- uh, the sheep. They, he saves his family. He saves them when they would have died in the famine. They're there, and now Israel is going to grow until they get so big. Remember, years later, Moses has to come, and there's a million strong plus coming out of Egypt. And, and, and this is how that all happens, right? So do you understand? What was the dream? It's that is the dream. But at 17, he didn't see he was going to save his family. He just thought his family was going to serve him. At 17, the dream was about him. At 37 and into his 40s and 50s and 60s, when the family's prospering and growing and developing and safe and expanding and becoming the great nation of Israel it's at that moment he realizes wow this is the dream it wasn't about me being the big guy and everybody seeing me it was about all of them being on my shoulders and saving my family it was the same dream just a different Joseph (laughs) 
God gave him the dream when he was a kid. He just didn't see the fullness of it. The dream hadn't changed Joseph had. Genesis 15, or 50, verse 19, it says, Joseph's dad died. And when he died, guess what all his brothers said? Don't kill us, don't kill us, dad, before he died. He said, don't kill us. Joseph, man, you guys tried to take me out just because you wanted to take me out. But that was really God's plan to set me up to save you. Why would I turn on you now? I'm gonna, you pro- I promise you, I will take care of you. I will bless you. And then we see in the last verses describing Joseph's life, he's not just there with his brothers, but he's there with his kids who have now had kids who have now had kids. He's lived old enough to see the dream of not just his brothers, his fathers and mothers bowing down to him. No, the dream of him saving them, being positioned through all of this terrible, difficult process. He has now changed to become a spiritual father that recognizes this wasn't about me being powerful. This was about me being a servant and saving them and them getting on my shoulders. And now he's sitting there and the scripture says he had his son's son's son sitting on his knee and he blessed him. Before he died. Let me tell you something about God's dream. You ready? Write these two things down. I'm going to give you two descriptions of if you know if the dream you have is from God. Number one, if the dream you have is too big for you to accomplish without him, it may be a God dream. God will never give you a dream you could do without him. It's a God dream if it's too big for you to do without him. Second, Description. It's a God dream, or it could be a God dream, if it's too big for you to accomplish in one generation. God could have described himself any way he wanted. He is the father of all the universe, but he chose to describe himself as, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God who has the vision for multiple generations getting bigger, better, and stronger. Isn't that awesome? So here's the encouragement on that. Raise up sons and daughters to be fathers and mothers. Think stewardship, not ownership. Think multi-generational. What level are you at currently right now? What do you need to do to go to the next level? And each level builds on the other. So are there any skills at the lower levels you need to strengthen? So this is a personal assessment. In other words, you say, well, I'm at a third level. Well, you need to go back and check out first level and second level because it's built off of it. And you may need to go back and make sure those levels are still intact of what you've learned and how you should be acting. Because if you're not careful, you can pick, back, pick up the bad habits and bring it along. So what level are you at? What do you need to do? This I'm helping you now to examine your experience for the last hour. Where are you at? What do you need to change or do? And examine the other levels, not just where you're at. Is all of that strong? You know what my desire, greatest desire in this room is this. Everybody look at me now. You're going to do that in a minute. But look me in my eyes. I'll give you a second to settle in and look me in my eyes. I'm smiling, so I'm not so intimidating (laughs) and intense. I was told beforehand that I'm very intense. But actually, I was also told I'm a big teddy bear. (laughs) 
I've also been told by my wife, I am a person who fiercely loves. And I'm fiercely loving you right now and telling you this. The greatest dream of your life should be not that one day you're famous not even one day that you have a great position but like Joseph on the day that you're going to be with the Lord you're gathering your spiritual sons and daughters together and their sons and daughters and their sons and daughters and you're blessing them and you're speaking prophetically over the life and the success of your life will live on even when you've gone to heaven. That's an investment, that's an eternal investment that keeps paying dividends when you're in heaven. My heart and goal for every single one of you in the room is not just to grow up and to be incredible men and women of God, but that you would grow up and determined from this moment in your 20s to become great spiritual fathers and mothers. Somebody told me two days ago, I was sitting with somebody, and he's now 42, 43, and he goes, you know, it's just weird. You know, it's like you really need to start preparing to be like a spiritual father or mother like when you're younger, but when you're younger, you're just too young to be a spiritual father or mother. I said, being a father and being a mother spiritually has age does not come into it. It is a heart, not an age. Now, it will look more like being a big brother or a big sister when you're younger. But it's the heart of being a shoulder type, bigger, better, stronger disciple maker. Because everybody keeps looking at me in my eye and listen to me. You don't wake up at 50 and decide, I ain't got much longer here. I better start being a dad. Listen, it's in your 20s when you say, I care more about training others to be on the mic than being on the mic. Every time I have a mic, it's about training them to get on the mic or getting into the position of their communication of what God's called them to be. It's having a heart at every level of your life, not just to do what you do, but to help others to become who God made them to be. To be an encourager and a strengthener and a multiplier. And guys, that's what I'm praying is going to get in your DNA and your soul. That every day all you think about is not about when's my day. But my day's right now to encourage you, to help you, to build you, to strengthen you. What if every generation of the church got bigger, better, and stronger? That would be a day where it is possible to actually fulfill the Great Commission. The reason why we're not is only because people have dreams that they can do without him and dreams that they can do just for themselves and just for their day. You flip it, it changes everything. This has been another Learn By Doing podcast. I hope this session was a blessing to you and I hope you join us next week. God bless you guys.